Good evening, and welcome to the eighth film forum of the 43rd Cleveland International Film Festival. I'm Stephanie Jansky, Director of Programming at the City Club. Um, in a few minutes, we're going to, a few seconds, we're going to start the film forum. The, for the first 15 minutes or so, Marlene will lead our panelists in a conversation, and the second 15 minutes is powered by your questions. If you have a question, please raise your hand, and Rob will bring the microphone over to you. Please don't shout out your question as we are recording for the City Club's podcast. We want to make sure we capture your question. This film forum will be focused on the question, how should we best serve the underserved? And here to lead that conversation is Idea Streams reporter producer Marlene Harris-Taylor. Marlene, I turn it over to you to start the forum. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'd like to thank all of you for sticking around and watching this wonderful film. It was a great movie, wasn't it? We are so lucky to have the filmmakers here with us this afternoon to share their thoughts on, on this film and, and, and answer your questions after we go through a round here with the panel. But I just want to say that this movie just really touched me because I really felt like the folks that I saw on screen were true heroes. I mean, so often we don't get to see the lives of the people who take care of us. So it was so nice to be able to see inside of the struggles that they go through as well, you know, as they're trying to navigate this world of treating people who are the underserved in that community. I was also struck by the, just the beauty mm. of the landscape there. So in, in the midst of all that pain we saw, there was also uh, some wonderful cinematography and beauty. And, and are you responsible for that, Laura? Oh, no, that's, oh, excuse me. No, Anna is responsible for that. Anna's responsible yeah. for that part. Well, we were both cinematographers, <laughs> but yes, I tended to do more of the landscapes, and Laura did more of the run and gun. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it, it's, it was really cold, and so I was usually um, hiding in the car when Anna was making the really beautiful landscape shots. Well, one of my first questions is, I know you, you gave us a, a recap at the end of how everybody's doing. How, how long ago was it when you wrapped shooting? Um, we wrapped shooting in August of 2017, so okay. a year and a half, believe it or not. Yeah. So uh, now I'm curious to, as to, do you know where these folks are now? What's the latest update on the characters we met and came to grow affection for? Yeah, um, so uh, uh, Chris Ruge, um has been uh, promising to retire in two years, every year for three years. Um, so he seems to just keep on, keep on <laughs> keeping on, um, but his program has been hit by a new round of funding cuts, um, because I know sometimes people have questions about that in the film, but, um, essentially, El Centro, this little clinic, they went to every MCO, every managed care organization insurance company in the state and negotiated individually to keep the program afloat. Um, and then one of those closed their doors, mm -hmm. and so, so they are still sort of struggling to keep that program afloat. Um, Matt is um, doing really well. Um, he um, is, is really trying to expand the Semillas de Salud program um, as he uh, goes forward. And do you want to pick and up? And Matt is also working to open the very first uh, treatment center for substance use in Northeast um, New Mexico. There are currently no treatment centers, and he's working with local, state, and federal governments to, to make that happen. 
Yeah, and Tiffany Encinas, who's the young woman that you see who's interested in healthcare, mm -hmm. she started in EMS, she switched to nursing, and now she's transferring from community college to four-year college um, to, uh, to study biology and then become a physician assistant. So pretty much her grandma turned out to be right. It's basically right, the, the moral of the story. <laughs> that one has a happy ending. Yes. Yay. Well, let me bring in uh, the, our other panelists on the end here and introduce them to the audience. John Corlett is the, I guess, the man up here on the panel. John serves as the president and executive director of the Center for Community Solutions. And, uh, you know, his John has had so many wonderful and distinguished jobs. He has uh, ran Medicaid for the state of Ohio. He's worked in the highest ranks of some of our hospitals. So, John, you've worked in, in, in big hospitals. Have you, all, have you had experience in rural settings? I, I, I haven't. Um, I, think, yeah. I don't think your mic is on yeah. here. Maybe the uh -oh. other side. There we go. There we go. Thank you. Thanks to the film maker for <laughs> teaching me how to run my mic. A technical assistance. I appreciate that. Um, I, I have not worked in a, in a rural area before, but I, you know, I was struck by one of the things I was thinking about as I was watching the film was we did some research back in 2016 where we looked at 40 sort of small towns in Ohio and compared them to our urban areas. And, and when we looked at sort of every characteristic, they were actually more disadvantaged um, on sort of every measure, mm -hmm. uh, health-related, economically-related, and, and much fewer resources than we have in our urban areas. But the thing I was sort of struck by, and I was thinking about when I watched, was wondering about when I was watching this film, you know, when we looked at their sort of political representation, it all tended to be very conservative, you know, and, and the, that their political representation tended to vote against that community's best interests. Uh, when you looked at some of the sort of social welfare programs, healthcare programs, and things like that. So that's one of the things I wondered about was that New Mexico is, is a state that expanded Medicaid, mm -hmm. which is a good thing, um, but also has some sort of complicated politics as well. Um, but uh, that, that was one, so the one thing I've always wondered about was how do you get urban areas and these sort of rural areas to kind of act together when they have so many similar challenges and problems? Because a lot of the issues, Ohio, like for example, we have great healthcare access, but we have really lousy outcomes. I mean, you know, we rank probably with New Mexico towards the bottom in terms of health outcomes, but we have great hospitals, great medical institutions, but they don't, they don't match up, so. You know, I was sort of thinking the same thing, John, in terms of uh, we, we do a lot of stories at IdeaStream about health disparities in the inner cities or the, you know, low-income areas of Cleveland and so many of the same issues that you all pointed out in your film. Do you have any thoughts to John's question there around the politics in some rural communities? No, I'm having um, <laughs> So, yeah, northern New Mexico um, in particular is a super interesting community. Um, so New Mexico is a, a blue state um, and actually just sent an entirely democratic, democratic delegation um, in this, to, to Washington in the past election. Um, and it's an interesting state in the sense that it's rural but also blue in some ways but also socially conservative. For example, in the film, um, Chris's wife, Anne, um, does women's health. And we had a lot of challenges um, 
getting anyone, uh, any patients to agree to, to be in the film because of, I think, a reluctance to share issues around women's health. And so, um, you know, our hope is that this film can reach across political divides um, since I think that um, many rural communities, as you're describing in Ohio, are more politically conservative, um, but of course share many of the challenges that we see in the film. New Mexico is also a, a majority minority state. And so northern New Mexico has a long um, history of, um, they're, it's amazing, there are people in the community um, who speak a unique dialect of Spanish that dates back hundreds of years to the Spanish um, colonists. Um, so Northern New Mexico is its own brand of character, but um, as we've been screening the film across the country, the issues do seem to really resonate um, in many different kinds of communities. Yeah, and um, I'll just ju jump in and s say, you know, there's a lot of, we for a while we were half joking that we really wanted to film a scene of uh, Chris Ruge cleaning his gun in front of his Obamino sticker because it's just such an image that we don't don't have that those two things can fit together. Um, you know, and there's also other, other things, you know, Matt is a, a deeply, deeply um, Catholic person, um, and, you know, and part of his stance, which as I understand it, is, is that he's a, a pro-life person, is that he's also very pro-birth control, you know, and that he wants to get that out. So, um, I think that we were attracted to the area in some in some ways because some of these things that seem so intractable, there there is a middle. There seems to be more of a middle ground, um, you know, in the, in in a sort of a purple area. And healthcare and access to healthcare is um, statistically gaining traction across broader swaths of the U.S. population. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, let's bring in our panelists on the far end. There we have Aaron Burr. Erin, am I saying your last name right? Burrier. Burrier. Erin is a second year medical student in the Rural Pathway Program at Northeast Ohio Medical University, or NeoMed. And Erin, I know you have both worked and lived in rural Ohio. And so I'm, I'm just curious as to what your first reaction was to the film. Uh, well, I was most, uh, I had the most thoughts on uh, their problems with being so short staffed. Uh, when I was working in a rural clinic, uh, a big problem was uh, getting nurse practitioners in. Uh, they would come fresh out of school and get trained, but then very quickly leave because they weren't from the area. So I think one of the um, most important parts of the film was the high school program to get um, students from the area interested in going into medicine and the healthcare field. And uh, it seems like Matt was just trying to go it alone. Uh, at, and I think a big uh, Part of the problem is that that's not a larger program, um, but going forward, if they could expand that, um, people from those communities are the most invested, um, you know, in in the healthcare of those patients. And those patients have, you know, such hard lives and such complex needs. They deserve physicians and um, other healthcare providers who are invested in them and uh, really want to be there and be a part of the community. So did you see similarities between rural Ohio and rural New Mexico in the film? Uh, certainly. The opioid epidemic is uh, becoming ubiquitous, especially in rural areas. Uh, a big difference is uh, New Mexico has um, such a large area that they're trying to cover. Ohio, uh, like even the rural Appalachia, is um, more high density. So 
uh, you don't really see the, uh, the traveling doctors who are going to home visits and things like that. But um, yeah, the opioid problems, the lack of education, and uh, it's, there's a lot of similarities, yes. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the opioid problem, John, you, you know, your organization does such a great job of um, highlighting you know, some of the problems here in Ohio. So we saw the problem there in New Mexico. Can you share with us, just give us sort of the, you know, where we are with the opioid and drug problem here in Ohio. I mean, obviously it's still a, a serious problem in the state. I mean, the numbers have started to dip a little bit, but it's still dramatically higher uh, than it was. I noticed the part in the film, you know, where the doctor's having to do the drug screens and things like that, and that's a very common thing. Um, uh, both, you know, to make, and some of that is also required. I mean, that was one thing I was also sort of struck by was that, I mean, these uh, really <laughs> courageous physicians and uh, physicians assistants and nurses are really starting to combat against some very systemic things. I mean, you know, opioids didn't just happen. I mean, they were marketed and and pushed on people and pushed on physicians and all that, and so, you know, that, and we're in the Ohio right here. I mean, Cleveland is the site of a sort of a nationwide trial against the drug companies and distributors and all those folks who profited off of selling those medications and stuff. So, you know, it, it, it's, it almost struck me as though it was sort of like CFIUS trying to push up that hill against some just really big systemic uh, issues. And so I think, you know, the film helps illustrate that. And uh, I guess the other thing I just want to say too about the film, I was just, I was re just really struck by the dignity of the patients. I mean, the, just the, I mean, the grace that they show against, you know, some just really amazing, uh, just challenging issues. I was, I really, I commend you on that because I think sometimes we try and make them other mm -hmm. and they're really not other. I mean, they really are the sort of folks who live in our own communities and that, that we know and parts of our family and stuff. And I want to get the filmmakers' thoughts on that. But as they react to this, I want you all to start thinking about what questions you have for our panel out there because we have a, a, a gentleman with the mic, and he's going to come around, and you have questions. So if you guys could just react initially to what, what John just said, though, about the dignity of the folks that we saw on film and how did you find them and get them to agree to do this. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I'll just start by saying, like, thank you. Um, that's a huge compliment. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we struggled with is how do you show suffering, true, profound hardship um, without, you know, dehumanizing or othering. Um, and I think that uh, part of our sort of um, being able to find these patients was that we were working with providers that had these uh, incredible relationships of trust with the patients. And so I think they were able to sort of say, you know, here's what the film's about. Um, are you interested in being part of it? And a lot of these people, they really wanted to um, to share the stories of their providers and to share their own stories and to sort of intervene in the way that representations of people like them sometimes, you know, they feel the way they're represented in the news. And I mean, not, no, I do not mean to indict the news, but, so, you know, sometimes in a short form. Um, there's not as much time for context. Um, I... Uh, totally forgot what else I was going to say. <laughs> um, did you have anything to add? Um, yes. Well, uh, part of the process of making the film is we, we spent almost three years um, shooting the film and about 120 days on location in New Mexico. So we really developed long-term relationships with the people 
in the film, and that was certainly key in terms of being able to portray them holistically and have them really up, open up to us. I see we have lots of questions out there. The mic is all the way in the back. And uh, I don't know if you want to identify yourself and then share your question. That'd be great. Um, is it on? Yep, okay. it's on. We hear you. Hi. Um, my name's Ann Wise. I'm a family. Hi, John. I'm a family physician in a community health center on the west side of Cleveland. I've been there almost 25 years. Um, we're a bilingual facility. I've, I just thought this was a tremendous film. Um, one of the things that I thank you for is that it was so completely grounded in, the, in, in that, that relationship between the providers and their patients um, because I was thinking, oh, how are they going to show all the endless charting and the billing nonsense and the five hours a day you spend juggling people's medications because the Medicaid formulary has changed and oh my God. And I just started even getting anxious walking in here because I feel like that's my life. And you brought it straight to the patient-provider relationship in the most beautiful, respectful, um, complex way. And it reminded me of what's best about what I do. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, we feel like there's there are so many people doing this work, and we wish you know that we could make a film about all of them. We will also say that you are absolutely right, hitting the nail on the head. There was so much charting. There's so much complaining about charting. There's so much complexity of electronic health records. I would say it is like watching paint dry. When somebody figures out how to make a movie about that, I will be the first to go watch it. <laughs> but um, but you know we 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 did want to bring it to the patient provider relationship but larger systemic issues from the way opioids were marketed to people to, you know, is the way that we do charting correct, uh, you know, our issues, but, but sort of we're outside the scope of the film, which was really meant to focus on that intimate uh, patient provider space. Yeah, I see we have another question there. Yeah, uh, my name is Lee Camps, last name spelled with a K. And other than the filmmakers, I may be the only other one in this room who's ever been to Las Vegas, New Mexico. Been there twice. Um, one question, what made you decide on that location? Because Las Vegas, New Mexico, kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, beautiful country around there. It's not far from Taos or Santa Fe. But uh, I was quite impressed because I've seen a lot of the same circumstances in Ohio locally. I've spent 46 years working in the field of health insurance and the like. and. Um, actually started out in a semi-rural county in Ohio determining med eligibility for Medicaid. And uh, saw some of that back in the 70s here in Ohio. Nothing's changed except that it's probably gotten worse. Um, but, you know, to look on the other side, the, the other side of the coin is, uh, you know, where there might be a solution is, you know, has anybody ever met, you know, because it seems like the problem is always chronic understaffing and, and keeping people. But at the same time, um, like I've got a niece who just finished medical school and she's over a quarter million dollars in debt. And how you know, programs for people in medical school or um, just newly minted doctors and health professionals, just serving in those areas and then having their medical school debt 
forgiven. Well, you, well, you know, you got a couple questions on the table there. So, so let's let them answer a couple of them there. One of them was about location, and then how do you keep people? Yeah, I'll, I'll quickly answer your first question about how we ended up in Las Vegas, New Mexico, the other Las Vegas, um, which is a really beautiful, amazing place. Um, and it was really the people. Um, we spent about six months talking to people on the phone all around the country in rural medicine and primary care. And it was really a, a chain of referrals. And uh, eventually someone uh, suggested that we speak with Matt Probst. And really in our first phone call with him, something really clicked. And um, we were just so Im inspired by his vision for the future of rural health care. And also it was very important to us that he was from the community that he was serving and really um, grounded um, in the issues um, that were happening in the community. And we went out to New Mexico and met um, his colleagues, and we were just really um, excited about the work that they were doing. And also, you know, focusing on Matt, Chris, and Leslie, they each come to medicine and where they are from different places. Um, but are all super dedicated and doing really innovative work. And I'll jump in quickly with the other half. Um, there are, uh, you know, debt forgiveness programs when you're working um, in underserved areas, you know, and there's sort of complex formulas for, you know, how underserved is it and who do they get. Um, in spite of those, there are still a significant provider shortage. And a, lo a large part of that is retention. Um, people will come, they will work off their loan time, but if they don't have ties to the community, they tend not to stay. And so it's part of a larger question about sort of the, about sort of how, how to um, keep rural communities vital, I think. As we move to our next question, I wonder if Erin has any thoughts on that, like, because you're going through that right now, Erin. Yes. <laughs> so how do we get people to stay and how and deal with this massive debt they have to deal with when they get out of school? So yes, there is tons of debt involved, I, <laughs> I can confirm. Um, some communities, like I know um, a couple specific examples, there are communities, I can think of one in Missouri that was trying uh, to recruit a medical student uh, that I know. They were a community that was small, but not a poor community, so they, uh, group together, I don't know the details of it, um, but the town offers loan forgiveness um, to get physicians in to come and serve them. And the problem with areas that are so impoverished is I don't think that they probably have the funds to uh, by themselves offer like loan forgiveness programs. Um, but like they said, it is um, a problem retaining those physicians after they've served their four years or uh, whatever the contract is because they're not connected to those communities. What do you plan to do? Where, where are you going to stay and work, do you think? Uh, so I don't know yet. I am very interested in pediatrics, and it's a little difficult because uh, relatively rural communities certainly have room for general pediatrics, uh, but the, the extremely rural areas, uh, like, like the focus of the documentary, really... Um, thrive on family medicine doctors who can see and treat everyone. So I'm trying to reconcile um, my interests, my past with uh, rural medicine, uh, with what I want to do going forward, which is working with kids. So I don't know yet. Okay, that's fair. Let's go to our next question down front. Thank you. A wonderful movie. Uh, I'd give you five stars if I could, but we can only give you four. Uh, I love 
I love how you treated, you made the, the providers, people that I could care for and respect and want to get to know better. Uh, we had an elder care related film here in 2014 that created a foundation inspired by that uh, documentary by the name of Alive Inside. And part of my mission has become also to inspire young people to consider careers in the healthcare field. Uh, hopefully we can consider continue a conversation. But uh, we stole my question about how you chose that particular community. So my next question would be, other than recommending that people watch this film, how can we help? Uh, well, so our film is going to be on PBS, actually, on Monday uh, in a couple of days. On, on Idea Stream, I should add. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Independent Lens. Um, <laughs> at um, Yes, at, I'm sure it's at 10 p.m. here in, in Cleveland on your public um, television station. Um, so well, we are in the midst of an impact campaign where we've been bringing the film to... Um, conferences to educational institutions. Um, so the film is now available um, to be screened at institutions. Um, you can find it on our website at theproviders.com. And we're really focusing on um, inspiring young people to go into rural medicine. Um, and then also we're targeting primary care providers to incorporate substance use disorder treatment into their practices. There are, those are our two main goals of the campaign. Yeah, and you know, as, as you mentioned, um, uh, you know, things like Semillas de Salud, the Seeds of Health program, they exist, but they're scattered and they certainly could use bolstering. So one of the other things that we hope the film will do is to help support those health career clubs, you know, sort of just plant a little tendril for people that might not be thinking about healthcare, somewhat similar to, to, to what you've mentioned, um, to think about that area. Okay, I think we have another question, this young man. Oh, we're gonna start with this young lady. Um, I don't know, you might not be able to answer this question, but I was wondering what saved that clinic and the other providers weren't funded, do you have any idea? Oh, um, yeah, so specifically, so it's all a little bit convoluted. So basically there's a national program called ECHO, and ECHO had pilot funding for three years to fund these six clinics. Um, and then ECHO lost their pilot funding. It did not get renewed. It was from the insurance companies. Um, so what El Centro did is they said, we don't care if we have funding or not. We're going to go and, you know, we are going to find the funding. So they went to each um, – insurance company that works with Medicaid um, in, the, in the state of New Mexico, and they said, will you give us just a little drop of funding to keep the program going? They also restructured Chris, Chris, um, Chris's hours um, it, so that he could have more billable hours with some other patients, as well as getting these little drops of funding from all of those um, community health uh, MCOs, managed care organizations. And none of the other clinics um, took that sort of extraordinary step. Um, and so, you know, in a way, I would summarize it by saying that they had a combination of an inhumanly dedicated provider and um, a sort of extremely strong-willed administrative staff. And that was what let it keep going. And 
in a film, it's great to have people doing heroic things, but in, in sort of life more broadly, we need systems to support those things because, you know, many of those clinics might have kept the program going if they still had funding, but they didn't sort of have that, you know, that extra, you know, ordinary um, will to get out there and do all of this boots on the ground fundraising in this, in this highly unusual way. Thanks. We're going to move on to the next question. So my name is Stephen. Um, I quick question. So the funding isn't there. Is there a way for us to give funding slash for us to help give funding? You mean to that particular clinic that we just saw in the movie, in the film? That clinic as well as any other clinic that any wants other clinic. to go okay. up in Project X. Um, well, you can visit um, El Centro Family Health's website, um, and they do accept tax-deductible donations. Um, I can't say in terms of the other clinics, um, since we don't have a relationship with them. Um, I wonder if John knows. John, do you know anything about that in terms of if people just want to help fund medical clinics, private clinics, do you know? Well, I mean, you know, Anne from Neighborhood Family Practice in the back there, I mean, who asked the first <laughs> question. I mean, <laughs> we have really good federally qualified health centers here in Cleveland, Neighborhood Family Practice, Care Alliance, Asia in Ac Asian Services in Action. And, and we have similar programs uh, in Ohio, you know, that sort of try to incentivize primary care and, and get it to people who most need it. I think the challenge, and one of the things you pointed out, it's just so difficult when you've got to negotiate these relationships with these private insurance companies. You know, as we've moved Medicaid to a managed care program, it, it's, it's challenging, and you spend a lot of your time and energy trying to manage those relationships, manage those contracts, which is challenging. So, you know, like, for example, just in Ohio now, you know, Medicaid is a multi-billion dollar program, and it accounts for about a third of what the state spends every year. So our, those insurance companies manage about a third of the dollars that the state spends every year because Medicaid is such a large program. So, so would Medicaid have been in charge of the ECHO program then? Probably. That's okay. what I would imagine. If, if there were the managed care companies, Medicaid, New Mexico is a managed care state, so. Yes, yes, it is. Um, the In order to qualify for Chris's program initially, um, you had to be a Medicaid uh, patient. Yeah, and Project ECHO out of University of New Mexico, which is a health extension program for rural areas, managed it, but it was funded by Medicaid. So tax dollars work, I mean, great, a great use of tax dollars, but I guess maybe one of the things we could do as citizens if we want to see this kind of thing happen is to advocate with our legislatures, with our um, elected officials and tell them we like these type of programs and we like to keep them going. Do you agree with that? Yes. I think also it's the scale, right? We, not that you shouldn't give. We should all give where we can. But what happens at the federal and state dollar scale dwarfs what most, most individuals can do. Right, to make it systemic so that it's – because uh, you can do all the pilot projects you want, but unless you change the system, you know, so that everybody has access to these things, that's what you want, so – well, one of the things that I think we all noticed is that, oh, I see your question. I'm going to get to you next. One of the things we all noticed is that, you know, this movie just kind of laid the drug addiction problem bare, you know. And, and I wonder, were you surprised by that or were you expecting that to find so many people who were struggling with that? Yes, we really set out to make a 
film about rural healthcare, and we're not intending to make a film so focused on the opioid epidemic, but um, once we started filming, it became clear that it was going to be a major part of the film because you really can't address patients, other, other patients' needs um, if you don't address their substance use. You know, they're not going to be able to take care of their diabetes if you're not addressing um, their substance use disorders. So um, we also were really inspired in particular by the work that Leslie was doing not only in her own practice, but really being an advocate to, to other doctors in terms of saying, you know, I do this as part of my work, and not only is it the right thing to do, but it's really rewarding, and it's a part um, of my practice that I really love and value. And so um, we thought that that was a really important um, story to share. And it, and it is still controversial. Many doctors still don't want to um, get involved with helping people with their substance use disorder. We have another question from the young lady. So this, this isn't um, in relation to this question, but I'm also a second year medical student with Aaron in the Rural Pathway. Um, when you were filming the film, did, you, did they ever talk about the, their like work-life balance in terms of themselves being in a rural area uh, as an upcoming provider I would I have a very strong interest in serving the rural communities but I do you know take take in consideration my own life and being secluded as well from family w do they ever talk about the challenges they face in that regard yeah um I think that um it's interesting um because they all sort of have um, different um, different ways that they feel about that. You know, Chris, um, for example, um, you know, grew up in Iowa, so he's not from New Mexico at all, but he loves his rural life. You know, they have horses and dogs and cats, and he has humming, I mean, hundreds of hummingbirds he sets up these feeders for, and he's like landscaping a pond in the backyard. And so for him, that is the life that he wants. You know, Matt, on the other hand, is he's sort of immersed in a small town, right? He coaches the soccer team. He coaches the wrestling team. He coaches the business future professionals of America. He's like every minute of the day, he's involved in some community activity. Um, so I think that um, the sort of complicated answer um, is that these people that are thriving in these areas are people that enjoy the life that is available to them there. Um, but I think that that's one of, you know, sort of the reasons why we're particularly um, sort of interested in this idea of sort of grow your own healthcare providers because not everybody that transplants into a rural area uh, fits right into the community um, or finds that they want to have a rural life, you know. Um, and so um, I, I think that, that the providers in the film would be the first to say that rural life is, um, 
is is beautiful and wonderful for them, but it's not for everybody, you know. And and they, you know, I know they pay attention to whether people, for example, have partners when they move, because if people come without partners, it may be harder to find a partner in a smaller town, right? Um, so there are, you know, real um, dynamics around that that there aren't easy answers to. But I can say these people enjoy it, and I think that's why they're thriving. Um, I wonder, Erin, do you worry about that? If in terms of choosing to stay in a rural area, the work-life balance? Somewhat. And I think in medical school, you get immersed a lot in um, the people talk a lot about like prestige, which you want to go into. You know, if you go into neurosurgery, you're going to make a ton of money and you can live in Cleveland around all your other doctor friends. You know, so a lot of that is, um, I think in these rural communities, you're often seen as a community leader, but it um, can get very lonely. Uh, because you might be, you know, the only doctor, or one of two, rather than living a, um, the suburban life that a lot of people who end up becoming physicians grew up with. Um, yeah, so it's certainly not for everyone, but I think you have to really embrace that lifestyle if you're going to go into it. Do we have any other questions from the audience? Okay, let's have final thoughts from our panelists. Let's start with, um, well, I think, Erin, you might have just had your final thoughts here. Let's have John, let's have your final thoughts on the film. I just, I, it was a really moving film and really well told, and I really appreciate it, so thank you. Okay, and from our two filmmakers. Thank you so much for being here. Um, again, we're going to be on public television on Monday, so if you enjoyed the film, please please spread the word and... Um, you know, you don't have to be a medical provider in order to serve your community. Um, there are many ways um, that you can serve and support the underserved, um, not just in healthcare. So we encourage you to think about that. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. I just want to say um, thank you guys so much. You've been a tremendous audience. Um, you know, we work for a long time by ourselves and getting to share the film is incredible. And also, I um, just want to say a big thank you. Um, I think documentary sort of focuses on the human face and I really appreciate you bringing in um, the systemic things that we can't always fit into the film around, um, you know, opioid um, sort of uh, marketing and um, federal dollars and all those things. So thank you. And I'd like to thank the entire panel for being here. Can we have a round of applause for our panel? And again, this film will be on WVIZ PBS on Monday. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tweet about it. <laughs> and thank you all for coming. <laughs>